And here we go. The Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. I've never started the show that way. I typically say hello, I've realized, but I wanted to try something different. Hello, this is Eddie Cohn, host, creator of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. Today I'm going to welcome Adam Mesnick, owner of Deli Board, San Francisco, a deli sandwich lunch-based restaurant in San Francisco. I went to high school actually with Adam. We didn't graduate the same year. He graduated the year after me, but I've been following him on Twitter, Instagram over the last few years, and I thought he would be a great person to have on the show. And it's a really powerful conversation, I have to tell you. It's raw. You hear dogs barking, you hear traffic, you hear my cats meowing in the background. And I often edit the podcast. And of course, I still do some editing for the show. But I wanted to retain the raw energy to the show. Here, part of the before I talk a little bit about that, and then we'll obviously listen to the show or listen to the conversation with Adam. I think Instagram and social media and technology is creating chaos in the world. I, I really firmly believe that. I believe as my cat starts strolling in, to the studio. Leo, settle down. Here we go. More chaos. I do believe people aren't communicating. I do believe people aren't talking. They're not listening. People aren't looking at each other in the eye when they talk. I think people are filled with anxiety and they don't know how to talk about their anxiety because in the Instagram world, everything looks perfect all the time. And since people are merely staring at Instagram all the time, they think there must be something wrong with them if they have anxiety or if they're feeling sad or depressed. And that's those are all normal emotions that people feel every day. So what I believe is happening is Instagram and technology is creating a world of chaos. And Adam, his restaurant is in the Soma neighborhood of San Francisco. And talk about a crisis, talk about chaos. His restaurant is in the middle of one of the most drug-infested cities, neighborhoods in the country. Homelessness is at an all-time high. Fentanyl addiction, drug overdoses are at an all-time high. People are shooting up on the streets. People are defecating on the streets. It's a tragedy and it's a crisis. And I believe, of course, this isn't, this isn't the only reason, but because we are staring at our phones, because the media is just pushing one news story after the next, since we're not really focusing on a problem or crisis, to tr- and then tr- working on trying to find change. I mean, Adam actually has been to city meetings where officials are staring at their phones during these city hearings where they are trying to pass laws, trying to find change, people are staring at their phones instead of focused on the issues at hand. This crisis is actually exacerbated by the fact that people can't focus and talk anymore. They're merely staring at their phones all the time. So Adam, the day that I have him on the show when we're talking, he had been chased down the street by a homeless man who was waving a bat wanting to kill him. And it's just another day in San Francisco while these tech giants are creating these devices that ultimately get people addicted to their phones 
there is a national crisis happening in San Francisco. It's happening in Los Angeles, too. Los Angeles is right behind San Francisco in the sense of the drug crisis. But so if you sense some tension, if you sense some anxiety, some raw emotion during the conversation, it's because earlier in the day, Adam was running for his life. The other interesting thing about Adam, besides having an incredible restaurant that you should totally visit and check out, he was so fed up with what was going on in San Francisco, he created Better Soma, which is a, it started out as sort of a Twitter handle where he started posting horrifying images that he saw every single day, whether it was defecation on the streets, needles everywhere, people using injecting heroin on the streets. He started using Twitter to get the attention of the mayor, Ed Lee, who has since passed away, to try and find and create change. And he created Better Soma, which is a neighborhood group to try and bring more awareness to the problems in his neighborhood and ultimately to create change because he describes it as a war zone. And if you've been downtown to L.A. recently, It's a war zone. Now, the problem may be too far gone, but it's certainly worth talking about. I'm thrilled Adam took the time to talk with me on the show, especially in his state of mind when I'm sure he was still filled. Clearly, he was filled with lots of anxiety because he thought he was going to die on the day that I get to speak to him. So this show is about talking to artists, business owners, yoga teachers, hearing their stories, hearing about how they use social media, the impact of social media and technology on their lives, and hopefully create a dialogue and create change and get people less addicted to their phones and remind people about the power of conversation, being bored. Seriously, being bored, because so many of our best ideas happen when we're bored. So free time clear mind, sitting still, turning off the phone, not relying on the phone for entertainment, not staring at your phone all the time. These are powerful, powerful devices in our pockets every single day, and we need to stop relying on them for entertainment. Really happy Adam took the time to talk with me. It's a powerful conversation, and if you dig the show, head on over to iTunes, maybe over to Podbean, write a review, head over to Google and write a review, share the show with friends. You can support the show directly by visiting patreon.com backslash Eddie Cohn. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month. And as always, I appreciate you all supporting the show, listening to the show. I've been getting incredible feedback. As always, thank you so much for being a part of the show. I hope you enjoy the conversation that I had with Adam. Again, Adam Mesnick, owner of Deli Board SF. It's a Jewish deli in San Francisco. Beyond being a great restaurant, Adam is just a great guy. He's got a great heart. And I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Thanks again for listening. We're good. Just get, just be comfortable. All right, let me sit down then. I'll sit down. Come on, get in here. 
So, All right. No, it's good, man. Um, so how are things? Things are good, obviously. Things are great. You know, I appreciate appreciate you taking the time to talk. No problem. Oh, we got some dogs going on too. Little buddy. Yeah, cool. Little buddy. Your place is only open for lunch. It's not no dinner. Essentially, eleven till three Monday through Friday, and eleven till four on Saturdays. Okay. Um. I, you know, I've done multiple projects. I've had other things going on. And, uh, you know, it, I'm kind of a one-hit wonder. Well, it's it's never easy to have one hit, so one hit's great. I'm at the point now, Eddie, where, you know, like, it, it's 10 years in, and I'm kind of starting to appreciate some of the great work. I'm the Jewish Deli guy, but the thing is, is it's transformed so much from Jewish Deli that people get a kick out of it because like, I'm like the old Jewish guy in San Francisco doing like fat sandwiches that, you know, don't really resemble Jewish deli, but it, it's got the shtick and the attitude. And right. Right. So it's been good. No complaints. I mean, it really just a, a tremendous, um, I I've had great people, but it, it, there's no way I could have done any of this without great people, but it, it's like a revolving door. I mean, the restaurants here are probably the same as they are in LA. It's just yeah. constant fights. About well, what's the what's the biggest challenge? Uh, give me two. That's just made, it's just so fucking hard. I mean, I think right now, like you know, you you talk about California, you talk about wages, and you talk about staffing. You know, I mean, immigration has slowed down. There's no question about it. So I, I think that you know, I mean, different industries are going to see different problems. But food industry, for sure, I mean, you have a lack of immigration. So the the backbone of the entire food industry, as well as, you know, hotel tourism in L.A., San Francisco, San Diego, up and down the coast, simply, in my opinion, is a lack of immigration is making it harder for people to hire. Um, but you also, you know, you have a lot of people working in the gig economy, which is far more interesting and more who doesn't want to not have a boss. Yeah. So if if I'm a guy who has the choice between driving Uber or Lyft or any of the delivery food vehicles and I can make my own schedule, I'll probably prefer that. I mean, I compete a lot against that type of service. Now, so, didn't I read an didn't I read an article or something where do you guys use Uber Eats and DoorDash or you don't? I don't and I'm adamant about well, Yeah, that. why not? Why not? So I mean, you know, San Francisco, obviously, the dynamic and the layout is completely different than that of like a Los Angeles or Cleveland where we grew up. Right. In my opinion, I mean, San Francisco is about neighborhoods, small, compact areas. I mean, there's so much traffic in my neighborhood now. When I moved down here in, you know, the, when the restaurant started in 2009, you know, everyone was like, wow, bro, you're in the greatest spot. You're right in the dead center of Soma, which... You could go the financial district, really get anywhere in the city quickly. Right. And what ha- what happened over time was the traffic is just bananas. What we're doing is we're selling a very high quality product that, in my opinion, does not translate in delivery. Okay. So I I would go out of business before I was the last guy to deliver. You know, now you see restaurants complaining about the fact that the delivery cost is 30%. So I always wanted to just stick to the side of no delivery, let people have an experience, walk into the restaurant. We have great, you know, we're spinning records all the time. Yeah. 
it's a cool place. I mean, it's a shithole, but it's a cool place. And, you know, it looks very much like a basement. The theme of coming in, eating, ordering, having an experience, again, is something that I've been focused and concentrated on. I didn't grow up in a, in a delivery at food atmosphere. I mean, right. delivery food for me is Chinese and pizza. <laughs> totally. Um, but it's, you know, and, and obviously Chinese and pizza has extended itself to other ethnic cuisines. Thai food is great delivered. Indian food can even be good delivered. I mean, but do you feel, non- as, do you feel as though you're missing out on more customers financial? I mean, did it, would, would it financially behoove you to be a part of the food delivery services or it doesn't make sense? The, the food costs me so much money to produce that there is, there is a question of margins, right? So my average margin for a restaurant on a successful month is about 15 to 12 to 15%. Okay. So I would have to pay a delivery service anywhere between 25 to 30%. The mathematics don't work out. Right. That's number one. But number two, I don't, I've never looked at it as pump, pump, pump. The more sandwiches that I do, the more prep that I personally have to do. Sure. So I also pay other people to do the prep. So if I have to put myself in a situation where I do double the sandwiches and the income is the same, the margins are the same, it doesn't do me any good. Yeah. So I've always kind of looked at it as, you know, create an amazing product that isn't necessarily ruined by delivery. I mean, if I deliver a sandwich to you, and let's say it's your first experience with my restaurant. You may not like it as much as you like it when you're there. Totally. I mean, it's like eating a cheeseburger kind of. It's it's hot, melty, and juicy. And it needs to be served kind of hot, melty, and juicy. Let's say the guy stops, smokes a cigarette. Let's say he has right. another pickup. Let's say he gets in a fight with his girlfriend on the phone. And Eddie Cohn's sandwich is dying in the bag. <laughs> I'm not happy. Right. That's not why I cook. That's not why I cook. I cook so I could see your face. I could say, Addy, how's your sandwich? And you say, hey, you know what? It's delicious. It's amazing. It's the best sandwich I've ever had. Well, you know, that's what gives me gratification, and that's why I do what I do. You sort of... I mean, it's got a social media theme to it. But before we get to social media, what happened where you, I think you were in banking or finance. Right. I mean, uh, so I'm a. So I'm what a, the hell happened where you were like what, an, enough. What the an, hell happened? Enough banking. Good goddamn good question. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I mean, it, it's interesting because initially when the, when the idea was, you know, created, when Delhi Board was created, it was only catering. And I was working in a commercial kitchen, uh, making soup wholesale, sandwiches, salads, rafts for for to go. So really, until we moved to our current location, which was, you know, nine years, we really just started off as a catering business because I was coming from a corporate background where my world was flushed down the toilet. So I did um, in 2001, I moved to San Francisco uh, with a company called Novastar Mortgage, which was a publicly traded mortgage company uh, on the New York Stock Exchange. And um, basically, I was a regional vice president of sales for many years, lost that job in 2006. 
the idea behind losing that job, I kind of had to plan for an exit. I owned a home. I was used to making a lot of money, yeah. you know, multiple hundreds, thousands of dollars a year. And I, I lived a different life. I, I, I was in a suit and tie every day. And, um, you know, the drag of, of corporate uh, was dragging on me. And, it, you know, I was cooking on the side. It was always something that I wanted to do. Um, the unfortunate part is, is that the mortgage collapse, as well as my financial, my personal financial collapse simultaneously led me to a place where there was really, you know, it was time for me to make a decision based on passion, love, something that I really wanted to do. The banking was a sidetracked career that I started, you know, in 1997 and I enjoyed paying off my student loans. Right. But did you always have an interest in food? Was that, that was like from a young age, that was something. I never didn't cook. Okay. So I was in the kitchen at three or four years old with my grandmother, who's an amazing baker, uh, on a walk watching uh, Martin Yan. So, you know, my world was food and foodie before foodie really was a word that existed. Sure, yeah. Um, I don't use, I don't even know what that word means, but um, yeah, no, I'm obsessed with food and I have nothing but cookbooks and. Yeah, books and food and, you know, nothing, nothing that I've ever done has had anything to do with anything other than food. I was constantly catering, throwing parties. If it were uh, Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur, breakfast was breakfast is my best meal. You know, I, I, I spent my time and enjoyed my time in the kitchen. Never, you know, never stopping. I, I don't know. I'm going to throw a name out of a restaurant that you may remember. Beachwood Pub. Sure. Okay, so Beachwood Pub was my my stepfather. My mom was married to a guy at the time who uh, owned a piece of that company, and I was bussing tables at age eleven. So I was no stranger to a restaurant, no stranger to a kitchen. I also worked at a place called Oscars, which was under the Lion oh, the yeah. Lamb. Uh, of course, that's right. Uh, yeah. The Lion so, and the Lamb. Yeah, no. So, I mean, I, I really spent a ton of time in the kitchen before any of it really became a professional career. Yeah. I mean, I have notes, you know, on sandwich combinations and thoughts and food and recipes from like 1985. Yeah. So I've been collecting menus. It was just something that like naturally it, it progressed and it has been very natural um, but it was a logical decision when the mortgage market crashed. I said, forget about it. I can't do anything that I don't want to do. I really, I sold my house short. I lost about a million bucks. From I moved here in 01. So banking 01 to oh, uh, like 06. I'm curious, um, to 09. I'm curious. One thing that I love about, you know, all these television channels and the Food Network and Bravo Top Chef, and it, it really. I love them all. It brought food, it brought celebrity, it brought attention to the craft of cooking, which it did. I mean, which is great. It has it's created both a shitstorm in a great way and a shitstorm in a bad way. Let's talk about the so, bad. Let's talk about the bad way, and first, and then we'll talk about the good because so I, the bad is going to be a Mario Batali. It's going to be some of the harassment. It's going to be some of the old boys club and you know, men treating women unfairly, um, poor judgment, uh, harassment, the whole deal. So let's just say that a lot of that 
popularity in food brought some bad behaviors. So there's that. So sure. you definitely, the, the food industry suffers tremendously from being in such a limelight. Um, and, you know, I, I would say that humility has grown on me with age. I wouldn't say that this is something I would be able to deal with the social media, uh, the press, the success, though not necessarily financially, but the success of my restaurant is something very difficult to capture at, at any point in my life. Yeah. Um, but especially now, I could understand and see how people could very easily, it's, it's, you know, again, food does get a lot of attention. I'm in a city where food is very important. Would my food resonate in Los Angeles? I'm not quite sure. I don't know. I, I am a, I have a knock on wood, a cult following in San Francisco that's been developed by years and years of hard work. And I think that everybody notices and recognizes the fact that I'm involved and always will be and always have been. My dream and my world is to create an experience for people eating in my restaurant right. and really blowing people away. If I did it 50 times a day, 100 times a day or five, that's fine. And um, the, well, the other interesting thing for me is you talk about how much work and time it takes to really grow a business. It takes years. And somehow I feel like um, Instagram and social media, just people expect success like within a year. If you're not doing something within a year, then there must be something wrong with you. And the reality... I, yeah, no, I mean, that's a, you know, the world has gotten used to so much press. Right. So um, Instagram can be fueled by, you know, great personality, great food, picture. You know, my pictures look like the food that you eat at the store. Right. I mean, sometimes they look a little off, but for the most part, you get what you're bargaining for. How has Instagram affected your business? It started with Yelp. So okay. I, start, I opened in 2009, 2010. Yelp was a huge propeller for a guy like me. Um, and I think Instagram took the place of Yelp. Yeah. You know, you look on Instagram, hey, where do I want to eat? Or Google Maps and, you know, it all connects to Instagram. But ultimately, I think I think the younger people are using Instagram as a source of knowledge. I would even say that Instagram sometimes becomes like Yelp these days hmm. where people have complained or, you know, voice their concerns, opinions, etc. So who knows what Instagram will turn into? I imagine just like Facebook, I will pay for ads Here, or I will pay for space. This is a concern that I have as a yoga teacher um, and I've, I've worked in restaurant industries. And the thing that I can't stand about Yelp and like ClassPass, it gives everybody the right to review. And I'm thinking right. to myself – that's a lot of pressure for a restaurateur because literally anybody can go on to Yelp and let's say, who right. knows, you had a bad day or your server had a bad day or something and they go on to Yelp and vomit and then two or three or 400 people are going to see that post. And I'm thinking to myself, who who is this person that is even writing a review about Deli Board and do they even know, do they even have a good palate? And I feel like it it gives people the right <laughs> I mean, I mean <laughs> so I personally, I mean, you're you're getting close to the subjects, but uh, what do you mean? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that because Yelp kind of introduced Twitter, 
where a guy like me and anybody can say anything they feel like on Twitter sure. and hide behind a computer. So not only, you know, Yelp basically was just food. And the one problem that I think, and, and in terms of Yelp sustainability, in terms of long term, they went so fast in demand and so far into food. They didn't really think about doctors and lawyers and entertainers, mm, yeah. magic guys, singers, I don't know, dog trainers. They are so food oriented that once the food people are starting to pull from them, Yelp is going to have some serious, serious challenges in the future because the food portion of it is probably really predominantly what drives traffic. I think Yelp has been an amazing vehicle. It, 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 look, I get bad reviews too, but I get good reviews and I get a lot of them. And, and the reviews, again, are, are usually very transparent. I think people know how to read through them. Okay. But again, I, I will say that Yelp sort of opened the door for the world to have conversations on Twitter. And I call Twitter the Twitter sphere. And it is not a real acceptable place. It is absolutely treacherous. Uh, you know, the good that it's brought Instagram is it's exciting. It's great to watch food. It's great to come down to L.A. and go to a place named Whole Box. Everybody needs to eat there. Yeah. It's in a little mall. I mean, how would I have ever found out, you know, about Whole Box or how would my buddy find out about Whole Box if I didn't post a photo of it or it's not on my Insta story? So the data, the, it really is clean data, and it's 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 beautiful data. It can be, you know, some people's pictures of food or, you know, their ability to to use Instagram is different. And I think that it's it's similar to a TV station where I keep people engaged and try to keep people entertained. But Instagram, I mean, I I couldn't even tell you how many people actually walk off the street and say hey, we saw you on Instagram or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, it, it is a tremendous driver of business. Wow. I would, I would pay for it. I don't know how much, but I would pay for it. Well, and that's what's interesting to me is that I, 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 my issue with our culture and the world is that we're spending more time artificially, we're spending more time DMing and texting and staring at our phones and having artificial conversations, as opposed to actually like having face-to-face -face conversations, adding depth to our lives. But I do think as a business owner, as a restaurateur, uh, Instagram is vital. You have to use it because that's what people are staring at all day. Yeah. No, they're, I mean, again, I, having a conversation like this and I am still able to turn off my phone. I am still able to check out. Yeah. Um, it's not easy for me, but I, you know, I have found a way, you know, my staff is not allowed to use their phone during work. I was going to, I mean, wait, hold on. My cat won't stop meowing. Hang on. Cause I want to ask you about that. And then I want to ask you about Twitter. Hold on. Go ahead. Nelly. So I go to restaurants all the time out here and some have open kitchens so I can see the chef. Least favorite thing in the world. And I know that I'm a germaphobe, but I fucking can't stand it when I see the runner or the, the prep guy or something grabbing his phone, looking at text, and then going back to food. And there's so many times I want to tell them, what the fuck are you doing? Like that's got, I mean, it, it, it's, it, it, it should be a 
it will be a standard. I, I will tell you that um, it'll be a health risk. So what'll happen is, is somebody's going to get sick from, uh, you know, from uh, something and they're going to trace it back and they're going to see that somebody picked up some bacteria on a train in San Francisco. It's called the BART. The yeah. BART, they put their hand in their pocket, they touch their phone, somebody touched food. It. I mean, it's dirty. People take their phones with them to the bathroom. I know. I, look, I'm I'm a germaphobe too. <laughs> right. I know that I may look a little like Howie Mandel, <laughs> but I'm not as big a germaphobe as he is. Right. But I will tell you this: like you, I am offended by behaviors like that. And uh, the question is: is like, what what does a consumer do? When do we get to the point where somebody does get sick? Because well, it it's is. just it's, it's just common. Gross. Yeah, it's, it's common. Gross. It's common sense. The phone is known as being one of the most dirtiest pieces of of. I'm, if you start a, a rage against the the phones, <laughs> I'm down. I you know everyone in my kitchen when they do you know they they are allowed it's to let's say they had to uh, go use their phone. They know that after they go use their phone, they need to wash their hands. Right. Um, it's kind of like an entrance into a kitchen. But besides that, you know. I, I pay people enough money where I feel that I want them to be as attentive as possible and do as good as good a job as they possibly can. And I think that ultimately, like everybody kind of appreciates it, me included. I love putting my phone down. You know, I mean, it's a, it's like a break. I'm curious, you use Twitter I don't know how long ago, a couple years ago, maybe longer, where you started posting photos of needles, defecation all over the streets around your restaurant. Am I retelling the story correct? No, you're right. Um, Basically, um, I mean, that started more than just three years ago. The presence of Better Soma, which is uh, who I use, you know, that's my name. Everybody knows it's me. It's not a secret. But Adam Mesnick uses Better Soma as a uh, it was it was it was initiated as a community group. I started what I call the Needles and Feces campaign, and I shared my thoughts with Ed Lee, who was the mayor at the time of San Francisco. He's later died. He was a great guy, though. I reached a point of capacity at his point where I paid. I made enough. I made enough noise on Twitter, really via Deli Board at the time. I made enough noise on Twitter where Ed and his crew came down to my store a couple times. What was going on really wasn't necessarily on the street. It was across the street. There's a park next to an elementary school. It's called Victoria Manilow's Park. There's Victoria Manilow's Park. There's Bassey Carmichael School. They're all right across the street from Deli Board. Um, across the street from Delhi board was a microcosm of what San Francisco looks like now. It was, the bathroom was treacherous. People were shooting up everywhere, feces everywhere, needles left behind, prostitution, dealing, all of it. It was all pretty much in a park. And what was going on was, you know, Delhi board only has 20 seats. We would tell people go across the street to the park. Yeah. And, um, as time went on, it got edgier and edgier. Um, and you know, that's when I started to really voice my concerns with Ed Lee and the mayor paid attention. I mean, the mayor was a great guy. I'm, I, I can't say anything but great things about the mayor. He did everything he possibly could for me. 
he brought me into the mix. He brought me into the fold. I spent tons of time with him in meetings. He, he brought me around and basically, really it was like his cause, similar to how I am with homeless people, kind of carrying them around and donating and giving them money and giving them food. He sort of carried me around and brought me into the fold and made me feel like I was a human again. Um, what? Because ha- I've heard some horror stories about San Francisco in the sense that the disconnect. It's going to prompt me to smoke a cigarette, though. Just, you know. <laughs> it's okay. But, uh, but what is. I, yeah, I haven't what's... had one since yesterday after work. So, uh, yeah, go ahead, shoot on San Francisco. Well, I mean, I love the city every time I've been up there. I mean, it's been my, my girlfriend has family up there. I've been many times. It's been about four years since I've been now. But, um, yeah, it's an amazing place. The disconnect, though, between the wealthy and the poor, the streets, the homelessness. I mean, what have you seen over the last eight, ten years? And what's, what's, well, is again, there any, anything making you feel encouraged or are you feeling discouraged? My God, I got chased down the street today. So, um, you know, I better. So, so once the Ed Lee kind of thing fell apart and once we had, once Ed passed and I created a group called Better Soma, which is the Twitter handle and Better Soma really was initiated and originated to be a community venting place, get together with some people who were able and, um, not for just finance, but to help clean and volunteer and put our minds together to try to accomplish something as a group. What's going on in San Francisco is, you know, really, in my opinion, um, I've spent a lot of time in kind of the Tenderloin and Soma Zone. It's a drug crisis. It's, uh, it's tremendously masked as homelessness, and there is homelessness, but there is also a drug crisis and mental health issues that need to be addressed. And San Francisco, I think, has always been a place, just like Los Angeles, where people like to escape. And I think that this San Francisco was on the forefront and a leader in the activity on the streets. I don't think what I see in videos now in L.A. and in San Francisco three years ago, it's striking and scary that it's going on down there as well, but it's pretty much going on everywhere. It seems other than, you know, the cold Midwestern cities that have no tolerance for it. Right. Again, I was, I was chased down the street today. I basically spend most of my time helping homeless people. Many mainly are addicts. They're addicts and they have mental health issues and they have dual diagnosis and triple diagnosis and things I've never even heard of. Do you think, Silicon Valley and all the wealthy are moving either to the suburbs or they're moving to these very exclusive high-rise communities. And I just get the sense that people just don't care anymore or as much as they used to. Do you, is there any sort of connect at all? There is a level of desensitize. And I think that, you know, somebody like me, I mean, I am getting to the point where um, some of the activity that I take, some of the action that I see, some of the some of the activity is just, it's so beyond, I don't really need to watch TV. It's like, it's, it's a, it's a scary disaster is really what it is. I don't know that, you know, I think the world needs to really admit that there's a major, major, it's a health crisis. If there's a drug problem this big, 
Um, I think fentanyl is a big factor. And I think that fentanyl has been introduced and it's so strong. I don't know that doctors and the people and the powers that would be are in full understanding of the effects of it. I've seen people on it in so many different ways, shapes and forms. It's uh, it's scary. I mean, it's uh, you you know you could you could OD from pretty much one little dot of it or one little spike of it. So I don't what really was once maybe a homeless challenge where you know it was San Francisco has always been a place that has had a homeless challenge. There's no question about it. Um, but down and out and looking for work and having challenges at home or getting kicked out or getting evicted. There's so many different things that it could be. But if you are coming here from Iowa and you're 20 years old and you're addicted to methamphetamines, that is a bad excuse for being homeless in my opinion. Hold on, another cat going crazy. Well, here's the, here's the irony that I find with social media. And I, I know they promoting quote unquote connection. But what I see and read is they they're hiring programmers, engineers to basically create slot machines in our pockets. So people can't stop staring at their phones. (laughs) There is that. I mean, (laughs) uh, but I think that like, I mean, that I think the numbers are like, especially in the city of San Francisco, Uh like the, the tech guys, I think, only encompass like 10% of the work population. No, but here's my point. I think they have hired – these companies don't care about you and I connecting. They care about people staring at their phones as much as humanly possible, which is why, if, which is why chefs and cooks are looking at their phone while they should be preparing. <laughs> There's No, I mean – in general, yes, there's a major. I mean, look, I was on. I was using my phone to videotape somebody today. It was a dangerous thing. I shouldn't have been doing it, and I got chased down the street. I mean, look, they can be phones can be intimidating. They can be weapons to people. They can bring so much anxiety to kids. I really, you know, again, I agree with you. I think that it is about clicks in terms of like people post things. And, you know, the question is, is what is, what is the real reason why uh, people post? So for me on Instagram, again, I look at it as, as separate television stations. I truly do. It's, uh, you know, I have my Instagram station, which is uh, sandwiches and flowers and me practicing, uh, you know, trying to make practicing, making videotapes or short stories that are like, you know, obviously interesting to watch. So on my Instagram station, I'm, I'm busy doing that. And, you know, for me, it's not about like driving clicks for me. It's like about selling roast beef. So, so for, for the Instagram, that's what that is. I mean, for the Twitter, now my other television station, I mean, Deli board is a Twitter, but Deli board, Twitter doesn't even barely exist on the map, but Deli board, you know, Adam Mesnick, better Soma, is like, I mean, I've gotten hundreds of thousands of views on videos, hundreds of thousands of views. I mean, it's raw footage that just happens in my natural path. I I wouldn't be like, hey, Eddie, 
you're in San Francisco. Let's go look for some shit to videotape. I'd be like, hey, Eddie, when you're walking over, be careful. Right. And then we would go to where we would go and do our thing. I don't create the scenes. It's simply, it's, it's treacherous and horrifying. And my intention on that television station was to bring awareness to feces, needles, <laughs> drugs, right. um, you know, issues that are affecting me personally. And I tell everybody, I kind of created this persona in the beginning. So the persona of Better Soma is like me venting. I mean, it's, it's pretty treacherous. If you look through some of the videos, it's, I mean, none of it is about shame. None of it is about hurting people. It's about bringing awareness to people's lives that are suffering on the streets. The city of San Francisco gave out 6 million needles last year. I mean, that is crazy. I mean, like, so, okay, so 6 million needles, and then there's no needles this year. Where do you think all the needles are? Well, everybody's using fentanyl. But if you're coming to San Francisco, the experience, because of the beauty, the depth, the, the history, in my opinion, it's just like government buffoonery at this point. It's a joke. It's yeah. absolutely like, you know, I would be embarrassed to invite you here. I think because Facebook and Instagram have created apps where people can't get their minds off of their fucking phones, because we have a news media that's constantly looking for the next story, right. there, there's, there's no, like, let's take a moment and sit down and talk about this and find a resolution, because everybody's staring at their phones or moving on to the next newsworthy story for the day, and it's impossible right. for anything, any change to happen. And I don't want to sound negative here, but I see a culture that can't focus for like two weeks or even a month to try and draw change and try and find a solution. I, I don't think it, it – I don't know how it can happen. No, I, I mean you're right there. I mean it's just – it's there's so much attention on phones and social media and so many things going on. It's impossible to keep up. I mean what was once – I don't even know. I, again, I think that like my symptoms of like over overusing my phone come and go. And, you know, like for me, again, you're right. I mean, who can concentrate? Who concentrates? I've been to government meetings where there's like high powered officials and everyone's using their cell phone. Like in so, the, like I mean, in these meetings, like it looked like legitimate meetings with the mayor speaking I mean, and everyone's using their telephones. Amazing. I mean, you try to talk to somebody, think about it. I once had a boss who taught me a very, very important lesson very early in my life. And she told me, if you ever have a conversation with somebody and you're at a table and you're sitting with a computer, at the time everyone was carrying a computer around, right? Right. You had your, you had your flip phone and your computer, your first computer. So she was like, you know, you were getting your first emails, et cetera, et cetera. And the fact was is that the screen is up. So talking to somebody with the screen up is fucking annoying. <laughs> you can't see their face. Right. So if I'm talking like this, I'm like, what the fuck? So she said, 
you have to put your computer down, engage. You have a human in front of you. I was a sales guy. Yeah. I mean, she was a sales manager. She was like, dude, engage, engage. And engaging, at the time, it was a lot easier to put that down. And for some reason, now the phone thing. I mean, I I can't even imagine, like, I don't have, like, a jealous string in my body right now, you know, like, but I can't even imagine having a girlfriend at age 16 yeah. and having social media, Instagram, Twitter, <laughs> Snapchat, forget about 16, at age 20, 22. Well, well what's frightening I mean, is here you are talking about government agents or government officials that are obviously older and they can't get off of their phone well, most of now, there a lot of them are millennials. I mean, yeah. the board is, you know, the board of supervisor in my neighborhood is probably 35, 36 years old. Yeah. I mean, that's falling into millennial category at this point. Yeah, social media is again, there's there's good and bad with everything. There's good and bad with my daily. There's good and bad with yours. There's yeah, there is so much data coming through social media well, that's, at all he, times. It's impossible to catch up. You can't figure out who's running for president. You can't figure out if Kamala Harris slept with Willie Brown. You can't figure out who slept with who because it moves so fast. It's just so fast. So much data. So, I mean, a guy like me hopes for a data pullback. I mean, does that does that mean that, like, a guy like me takes my no phone policy a little bit further and uses it on my own person and practice being off my phone like two days out of the week. Maybe I do it on Sunday when I'm not working, you know, when I'm slicing, cooking or operating, like there's no need for a phone. I don't film in my kitchen. I don't film my staff. I'm not into that whole deal. They're definitely, you know, they, they give away phones on the street. So there's lots of push to give people as many push notifications as they possibly can get. Yeah. We always want to know what filmmakers have to say. We want to know what writers have to say. And I became intrigued by this yin-yang of Instagram and social media because... I think as an artist, as a business owner, it's a very, it's a crucial, valuable tool to use. You've given plenty of examples of why. Um, your videos showing sandwiches, people opening up these sandwiches. It makes me want to go there and have a sandwich and check it out. Right. So it makes sense to use it. But I can't help but think there's a reason why people are depressed. There's a reason why people feel like a recluse, why people feel disconnected, why they feel incapable of sharing their opinions. They're worried. There's anxiety. There's a reason why changes aren't happening. It's because a million people Back in the day, there was like three news stations to watch. And then even when cable channels came around, maybe there was 30, 40, or 50. But going back to your analogy, everybody now has sort of created their own television network. And God only knows what one person is looking. One person may not even know about anything going on in Silicon Valley right now. You know, 50 people may have no clue that 
40 people just died off of... You don't even know that people died places yeah, now. It's just because somebody's looking at Cardi B videos all day on their phone, or somebody's all day on their phone doing Snapchat. So how can any... But how can change actually possibly happen if it is a wild west of God only knows what people are looking at every day? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> so I, there you go. I, think, I mean, there's there's no, like... There, there had, there's a lot of truth to the, you know, the social media path leading to all sorts of different, what I think are anxieties and behaviors that, you know, more internalized stuff, right? Yeah. Like I, I don't necessarily think that social media, I think social media affects people in a more mental health perspective status quo uh, maybe a little bit more teenage driven but maybe not i mean maybe i see it differently maybe because i have a big presence on social media forget about twitter i mean twitter i'm retiring soon i'm going on a i as soon as i have this television piece come out this news thing, I retired from Twitter, to, especially after today. I really almost got – it was a crazy day, man. But Well, wait. Look, tell What happened? Tell me what happened. Well, hang on. I mean, but back, so, to, the, back to the original point, I mean, I am going to, you know, retire from that. I've made my point, right? Yeah. Like it's like writing a book. Like sure, there's some data for me to yank out of it and there's some quotes and some important data. But like, really, like, if the city were to change and were to clean up, like, what's who really needs to see that shit? It is what it is right now. But hopefully it creates some push, some change, some thought, some logic so that somebody will say, wow, this guy who lives in the direct center of the war zone of Soma, I call this place Vietnam. Wow. I mean, I see bodies lying down I, everywhere. They're lying everywhere. Seriously. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, look, I can't think that I have not changed since all of this has happened. Luckily, like 10 years. So I've been practicing yoga myself 10 years. Um, thank God I have that because it gives me a time to breathe and, and, and then also clear my head and take my head, you know, and I don't have my phone there either. So I like that. Um, but other than that, I mean, what's going on here, what's going on in the world, all of it is, it is, it's all kind of out of control. It's all, in my opinion, it's all just out of control. And I don't know if people will stabilize and I don't know if people will be able to handle what's going on on our streets in San Francisco, what's going on in Los Angeles at this point. I mean, it's crazy because a lot of my friends from L.A., and, and me, I go back and forth. It's like my spot, right? Mm -hmm. So I go down there and I eat for a weekend or I go down there and have dinner. Right? I do breakfast at this dude's house. And these kids had this Zingerman's taste test versus Deli Board and Deli Board whooped some ass. I got rye bread down there. I go to Diamond Bakery. Don't tell anybody Diamond Bakery <laughs> has the best rye bread in all of fucking off L.A., as I'm going back and forth to LA, what you know was a big topic of conversation 
was how treacherous San Francisco's streets were versus the population of LA, which was always just Skid Row, right? Right. So you had an isolated population and now you have it kind of everywhere. But again, it's interesting to see San Francisco kind of was at the forefront, just like in the financial markets. We were on the forefront in technology. We were simultaneously, while the technology capital was being built around San Francisco, Silicon Valley, we also are one of the capitals of fentanyl. We also were one of the first groups to really push on recognizing homelessness and years ago fighting it and fighting it. And I mean, none of it's worked. It's insanity, right? Like insanity doing the same shit over and over, which is also part of what Better Soma has become is, is sort of fighting that piece. I mean, you know, a lot of what they've done is nothing is nothing. And a lot of what has changed is nothing. So, I mean, obviously we need a different approach as we, as, as we reach out to these people, maybe we need more mental health, social workers, maybe we need more outreach. Maybe the city of LA and San Francisco need hundreds and hundreds of volunteers to walk around and be able to understand why users are using and understand where they came from. Understanding uh, a lot of it could potentially lead to answers, but everybody telling everybody that it's not a drug problem and it's simply just people being homeless is like the most baffling, horrible excuse at this point. Um, Because San Francisco is not contained. Now LA is not contained. Austin, I've heard, is absolutely bananas. I think you can tent on the street for free now there. Even the homeless people have moved to RVs and and campers and um, they don't want to live on the streets because it's it's brutally violent. What's next? I mean, have you I know you opened up another restaurant but it it ended up closing. What why and and then what's next for you? So the space the space that oh I've I've had two others I've had three other spaces in total. Um, and they spanned the first two was a hoagie shop. And then the second in the same space was called Rye Project. The landlord, it was a, a little space. The landlord kind of bumped me out a little bit. Okay. Rent, rents were going up. I took over a space that was out of default. The landlord was a friend. My brother came up from San Diego. We built a hell of a restaurant, open kitchen, talking all the sex. It is and was the most beautiful restaurant that was ever built. But it was in the middle of 7th and Mission, which is the heart of where all the problems are. Um, so my job became more balancing security duty, counseling, et cetera, et cetera, security. Yeah. Um, and it, it became a very large distraction. And Um, I thought that pulling, um, it was a great, the food was amazing. We did, uh, various pop-ups throughout years there. So the rent was affordable and the landlord was such a, a, an amazing guy. He owns a real estate company here and his intention was for me to be successful, which is not a very, very, uh, not, not very likely to get a landlord like that in any big city. We were there for a couple of years and these guys showed interest in it. And uh, Delibor turned 10 years right about now. 
So, uh, you know, I moved back in the kitchen at Deli Board. I'm back in there every day, slicing corned beef, yeah. slicing pastrami, slicing the brisket. Well, so, yeah, so I'm making sauces, slicing meat, and having uh, a nice summer. You know, yeah. uh, I kind of dig San Francisco, and I kind of dig L.A., and I kind of dig going back and forth. And, I, again, I, I'm thankful I'm alive from this morning. And <laughs> I, I can tell you the story. Yeah, quickly. tell me the story before I let You're, you go. I mean, it's such a – it's totally my fault. And, and that's the one thing I will say that the risk of, of what I've done – I never really feel 100% safe. I mean, I've exposed myself on Twitter. Hmm. I've been doxxed. I've been shamed. I've been attacked for my behavior. I was with a homeless friend. His name is Steve, and I spend a ton of time with him. Uh, he suffers from a bipolar disorder, but he likes drugs and he likes meth. Um, I met him at my restaurant. He was swinging a stick at me, um, and I, I'm pretty good now with conflict resolution. Um, so this was about eight months ago. I sat him down and if you go to my, if you go to my Twitter, better Soma, Steven's everywhere on it. Yeah. I did an interview with him this morning. Uh, we bumped into each other as we usually do. He kind of may know my time schedule. Okay. Um, and he's my security guard in our world, but I videotape him and I give him food I bought all his clothes that he's wearing, his shoes, kind of for the last eight months, nine months. I've been doing my best to take care of him. There was promises of detox. It didn't happen. There was – I hooked him up with a navigation center, which is semi-shelter. He blew that off. Um, he's an addict. He lost his mom at a young age. But just two, three years ago, he had a real job. So he's not that far homeless. He's only been on the streets for two years. So maybe three, two and a half. So Stephen and I interviewed one of the district attorney candidates, Chessa Boudin, mm -hmm. which is probably the best interview that any human ever made on Twitter. Stephen and I were walking. I, I went to the farmer's market with him. He's obviously acting as my security guard. Right. I bought flowers as I do every Wednesday. I go to the farmer's market, oregano, rosemary, thyme for the sauce. I get cherry tomatoes, which are in great season right now. Cherries. Um, I get fruit, vegetables, whatever. I get I get my chili peppers there. I get Thai chili peppers. Mm -hmm. So a homeless guy who lives in my neighborhood has been kind of pinned as causing a lot of ruckus. And he was running down the street causing ruckus. Um, he was yelling the N-word at somebody. There's a series of tapes, a few minutes here, a few minutes there, and Steven and I were watching and we were like, you know, we know, we know the guy and we were like, yo, Jupiter, calm down, man, calm down. That's his name. And he would not calm down and we kind of videotaped it. I videotaped it really. I was videotaping more for the reason, uh, you know, because he's been aggressive with the police and I mean, he lives on my street, so it's time to go. Other people have complained. So, you know, as evidence, let's just say, and him running in the middle of the street yelling the n-word at somebody meanwhile somebody followed him in a bike and they followed him into the farmer's market and i followed them as well with steven and i videotaped it mm -hmm. the dude who he was calling the n-word was on a bicycle and i don't know if he had a weapon at the time but him and him and uh this dude get in a fight needless to say 
I videotaped it, and as I was walking away, the guy pulled up with a uh, kind of like what looked to be like a, a leg of a chair mm-hmm. with a nail in it and told me that he was going to fucking kill me. So Steven said, motherfucker, run. <laughs> yeah. And I ran. And me and Steven ran, and then we met back up about a half a block away, a block away, and the guy um, still was following us. We made it about two blocks. We ran, and the dude still was after us. And uh, I ended up in a, uh, a place called Tony Baloney's, which is a cafe in my neighborhood. And we, lock, we were able to lock the door before the guy got over there. But, um, yeah, he had a stick or a weapon. And I imagine if Steven didn't warn me that he was coming, he would have hit me over the head with it. Yeah. Not one person called 911. Not one person acted concerned. I legitimately had, like, my hands full, flowers falling all over the place, running for my life. I, I, and, I, I mean, again, it was my own fault for filming. Um, I, you know, the police eventually came and escorted me to work. I know the police, you know, people know what I do. And there's, you know, again, if I put myself out there, it's risky. And, you know, what I, what I tried to tell the guy was that I wasn't videotaping him for him. I was videotaping Jupiter for Jupiter. So it had nothing to do with him and I'd be happy to erase it. He wasn't hearing it. And, uh, yeah, he chased us down the street. So there was that it was, uh, it's still sinking in. So yeah, um, I'm happy I'm alive. Uh, my friend Steven helped, you know, I, uh, I'm thankful for my homeless friend. Yeah. We ran into uh, the place, locked the door. I got a picture of the guy and I couldn't pick him out of a, at this point, seven hours later or nine hours later, whatever it is. I legitimately wouldn't be able to pick him out of a pile of three people. So, I mean, it was just so fast and rapid. And I mean, obviously I have video footage, the inability and, and my, my biggest, you know, obviously I was afraid a little bit. I'm not going to deny that. I mean, I haven't been chased like that ever. And, uh, he had a weapon and he wasn't stopping. He was on a bike. So if you're on foot versus a guy on bike, you lose. Um, and he was, he was aggro. My friend Steven has been kind of mistaken for the dude he was fighting with. So there may be that also, I don't know what made it so aggressive. The takeaway for me is that, you know, regardless of what I'm filming, regardless of what's going on, you know, it's really important to call 911 if somebody looks like they're in, in pain or suffering, even if it's, even if it's overkill, I mean, I have, I walk by people and ask them if they're alive all 14 times a day. And I think people, again, I don't know if people are afraid to pick up their phone, but it was, it was interesting because the police told me later on when they came over that not one person called 911, but someone tweeted about it. Someone asked me if I was okay. Yeah. They must've seen me running down the street. So again, it's like, wait a second. So someone's going to, I mean, I put the tweets on before we got on the phone. So who knows what people have seen and who knows what people saw this morning, but I was wearing chef shoes and I was running down the street with flowers and vegetables. And I must've looked like a, like just a dipshit, but 
hopefully, you know, it's again, it's a learning lesson. I have a uh, second interview that I did with CNN, a guy by the name of Dan Simon. We did the first walk, I think, a year ago now in October of uh, 18. It aired in December, maybe early January. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, called The Opioid Crisis. It was a three and a half minute uh, piece. And I did a second walk with Dan Simon in October. Uh, no, not October. It's going to, now it's, I did it in June or July, mm -hmm. end of June, July. And it should air, he said, sooner than October, hopefully, um, because the anxiety of going on a walk with, uh, a news team and the, uh, views that we saw and what, what the world will see is really shocking. This one is far more graphic than the first one. And I thought the first one was pretty graphic. Wow. Um, you know, again, hopefully that'll bring awareness and attention to, to the problem. And, and, and you're right. Hopefully people slow down. Um, maybe that'll be a, a big push for me to just, you know, slow down and I mean, enjoy life a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, um, also help create change. The world needs it. I mean, everybody could and should do their part. Um, I'm no model citizen. I will not play that. Um, I, uh, I, I do try to do my best, though. Yeah, There's man. no question about it. That's a powerful story, man. I, um, it seems to sort of encapsulate everything that I think is... There's just, it feels like we're, we're living in a day and age of chaos. I really feel that way sometimes. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, Eddie, I'm. I'm like. I mean, I'm glad to hear somebody else say it. I got to tell you, it's really refreshing to hear your views and, um, you know, understand your ideas and 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 that the you know again, it's like now I can read your information and probably be more in tune with what your, uh, you know, your message is. Yeah, and you know what what the. You know, because it's a it's a big message, man. It's a big life changing. So much information, 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 and when does it stop? And nobody knows which information piece of information is true or false anymore. If, if somebody's just posting something or sharing something to get clicks, or if there's yeah, you know, there's a lot of that. I mean, I I think that you know, one recently somebody questioned something that I posted, but for the most part. Um, most of my stuff is real time and, you know, I gotta tell you, I gotta, I'm surprised that I have not, you know, at this point, some of the, some of the traction that the videos have gotten, I'm surprised the mayor hasn't responded to me, at least to try to silence me. I would, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. She's in power, right? <clears throat> I'm some dimwit who basically lost X amount of dollars or had so many problems or almost got murdered today on the street, but really shouldn't have been videotaping. So I deserve it. But who knows, you know, like I, I personally, like I would have reached out to me if I were her at this point, my presence on Twitter and my presence in, in, in real San Francisco culture. I mean, I've been here for 10 years, busting my ass doing all the things right, learning, getting better at managing, getting better at paying government agencies, doing all those things. 
and I don't know if I'm getting what I deserve back. Yeah. And, and that's kind of, you know, again, that's kind of my push in terms of the whole mayor thing and why always tagging the mayor. It's like the mayor should know that a guy like me works, you know, 70 hours a week. I don't really have like much of a, uh, a social life beyond my practice and beyond my, um, you know, eating out, but that's what I love to do. So I'm not yeah. complaining, right. but by no means did I sign up to be a, a mental health counselor to my employees, to staff having challenges with abuse or, uh, you know, robbery, robbing people's tips, you name it, it's happened. So, yeah. um, anyways, um, I, uh, well, I could talk all day. <laughs> well, I gotta say, <laughs> thank you, Eddie. Thank Adam. you for uh, having uh, having me. Thanks, I for, appreciate it. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. Yeah, sure.